We left off in John chapter 14, an amazing chapter full of uh, hope for tomorrow and help for today. And we just, uh, we looked at that verse number 27, talked about the peace. We left off there last week and boy, I, I, I'm glad to have the peace of God in my heart today, aren't you? Seems like a world that's just gone crazy, but uh, we can have peace, the peace of God. Philippians says the, that passes understanding. So we are so thankful for that. Now, Jesus, uh, as he has been announcing to them, is leaving. There's a traitor among them. In fact, verse 32 of chapter 16 says not only do they have a traitor among them, not only is Peter going to deny him three times, but it says in verse 32 of 16, the hour is coming, yes, has now come, that you will be scattered each to his own and will leave me alone. So, I mean, it's just a cascade of bad news that's coming, and um, they needed chapter 14. They needed the assurance that there is hope for tomorrow and that there is help for today. Their job was to trust and obey. We unpacked that last week. They could experience the peace and confidence that they so desperately needed. Verse 27 again uh, said, my, says, my peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And the reason he said that is that their hearts were troubled. And it's, uh, it is a, it's an unavoidable situation, our emotions, and our, we, just, we, just, we get troubled in our heart. Well, I tell you this morning, I, that's the caliber of peace that I would desire for myself. And I want the peace that Jesus had as he himself was facing the whip, the hammer, and the cross. And he still had peace. And uh, that is the kind of peace that I am wanting in my life. What about you? That kind of peace, the peace that Jesus had. So it's at this point in John's gospel that we come to realize a very momentous truth, something that is that sometimes we, we think that God's great purpose is just to give us peace and comfort, and that is the end in itself. Well, here is the truth. I want to pack, unpack this with three statements, three verses from the book of John that I'm not specifically preaching from, but that give us this truth that we are looking at. Now, I want you to see this. Chapter 13 and verse 20 said this, most assuredly, I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me. And he who receives me receives him who sent me. So whomever I send. And then John 17, 18, in his high priestly prayer, Jesus said, as you sent me into the world, I have also sent them. I'm sending them. And then uh, after the resurrection, Jesus said, John 20, 21, speaking to those disciples once again. And he said to them, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. You say, well, Pastor, that's wonderful. What's the big deal about that? Well, I think we mistakenly think that God's real purpose, God's real function in the world is to comfort us in all of our trials, troubles, and illnesses. God's job, as far as we are concerned, is to give us peace that passes all understanding and lots of stuff in the process. That's what we think God's job is. We love verse 27, my peace I give you. We want that. But listen, dear friends, I want you to understand something that's very important. We have a switch. We have a, remember now in chapter 13, he began to speak to believers and now he is, he's commissioned them already. And now then he's going to emphasize that mission that he gives to them. And so this is very important. We are called to a mission. How many of you believe that's true? We are called to, how many of you, the Lord Jesus has called you into a relationship and you have believed on him. Say amen. amen. All right. With that call, he is 
called you to die to self to join him on mission. This is so important. We're called to do battle with the devil's forces for the souls of men and women, boys and girls, old and young, rich and poor, religious and irreligious, educated and uneducated. We're truly called across the street and this is what we're called to do. Now, God's provision of peace is promised to us as we engage in the mission. It is as if we are soldiers of the Lord and he has given us our equipment. We know that's true. Ephesians 6 tells us what we're going to be facing. But then in addition to that, he also grants, guarantees, I will be with you and my peace. My peace, I will leave with you. Bruce Milne, who I've enjoyed reading. By the way, I, I got ready for this chapter 15 and I started reading and I kept reading and and forgive me this morning because I, I have just, I've been inundated. I told Brother Marty this week, I said, I don't know what, how I'm going to do this sermon. I said, I've been on just the first phrase, the true vine. I am the true vine. I've just been on that phrase. And I think I've got three or four sermons just on that. But anyway, I'm not going to go on with that. But Bruce Mill, he said this. He said, the gracious indwelling of God with his people is not an invitation to settle down and forget the rest of the world. It is a summons to mission. For the Lord who dwells with his people is the one who goes before them in the pillar of fire and cloud. Think for a moment about the great commission that we've been given. The most oft-repeated and well-known passage is Matthew 28, 19, and 20. You, you know what this says, but just quote it with you in your mind as I read it. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That's a newer version. We can't mistake the language. His presence, his presence with us is given in relation to the mission that he has given us. Go make disciples and look, I am with you. Go and serve me and I am with you. Stand up and be the light in the world and I am with you. Stand up for righteousness. Be different. Be the, be the branches and I am with you. You, we can't mistake this. This is so very important. You remember the little promise of Matthew chapter six. You say, are you ever gonna to get to John 15? Yes, just a moment. Matthew chapter six, verse 31. I've got, to, I've got to put this foundation down so that you understand. Therefore, do not worry. You remember this. Do not worry saying, what should we eat or what should we drink or what should we wear for after all these things, the Gentiles seek or the lost world. For your heavenly father knows that you have need of all these things. But here's what you're supposed to do. Seek first, what? The kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things will be added to you and the requisite peace. Of course, we have all we need from Jesus to seek the kingdom, present the king and to announce forgiveness of sins and freedoms, freedom to those who are held captive in sin's darkness. Now, what is chapter 15 all about? Chapter 15 and following is about how they are to carry on the mission for which, do you remember the mission? Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He said, you are going to go and you're going to announce and you're going to go from here to there and everywhere and you're going to carry this gospel that I am giving you. And so God promised them peace that they needed. 
And the piece that they needed was, and boy, I can hear Pastor Chuck say this right now. I mean, he jumped on something I said one time, and I mean, he put it on the wall in his office. He had just two words, and the two words were, so that. How many things, how many promises, how many of the preparations in the Bible God has given us so that we can do whatever it is that God has called us to do. He promised them peace they needed so that they could carry on the mission. God has not rescinded the commission. God has not canceled the call to make disciples. God has not canceled the call to make disciples. It is so crucial that we understand this. God has not recalled his army. He's not called us to hold up and wait for the rapture. No, he has promised to outfit us with peace so that we can keep advancing on the enemy's territory. Let's stand together and let's read the word of God in honor of the word of God. Verses 1 through 17, rather lengthy, but as he told Timothy, Paul did, give attention to the reading of the word of God. Verse 15, verses 1 through 7, I'll read and you join me on verse number 9. I'll read through 8, you join me on verse 9. The words are on the screen and let me read. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them up and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. Now join with me. As the father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you love me, keep my commandments. You will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants. For a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things I heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give you. These things I command you that you love one another. Oof, over and over. These things I command you, a new commandment I give you. What does he say? That you what? Love one another. Back in 1335, this is the way that the whole world will know that you're truly my disciples. That is, if you have what? Love. 
Love one toward another. It is the command of the Lord Jesus. Our Father, add your blessing to the preaching and teaching of your word and outfit us with peace so that we can face the world, so that we can carry on with the mission. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So send I you, basically, is what we have beginning in this passage. And I want to clarify something very important at this point. The subject at hand is not the salvation of lost people. The subject of, at hand is not the salvation of lost people. In chapter 13, we entered into the private ministry of Jesus to his disciples. The subject at hand, beginning in chapter 13, is the ministry of saved people. So important for you to understand context as you read the scriptures. This is not a for God so loved the world passage, although people can get saved under any preaching. But this is a passage about the ministry of believers. And so if we don't keep it in mind, then we can come up with some dangerous contradictory doctrine like you can lose your salvation. That's not what this is about. Let me give you some thoughts this morning very quickly from the passage and let me answer some questions. And that's the way I'm going to do it is through questions. And I wrestled with this and thought about this uh, uh, tremendously. And number one, I want to ask you this question. What is God's purpose for us? What is God's purpose for us? What is it that he has planned for us? Well, I think we have the answer. Look at verse number eight. By this is my father glorified that you bear what? Much fruit. Look at verse number 16. You didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear what? Fruit. God is looking for fruit. Fruitfulness. There's no mistake. God says that the, that the way that his kingdom is to advance is by scattering his children everywhere. This is his will. There are levels of fruitfulness. And we don't chop anybody off at whatever level they're on. God doesn't. He just works with us, works on us, works in us and through us so that we become more fruitful. Uh, in verse number two, there, we go from no fruit to fruit to more fruit. And then verse number eight to much fruit. And we're talking about how God is scattering his people everywhere. If you remember in the parable of the wheat and the tares, I didn't say the parable of the soils where we have four kinds of soils. I'm talking about the one good seed in the parable of the wheat and tares in Matthew chapter 13, the seed that is sown is no longer just the gospel. The seed that is sown are the children of the kingdom. They are the true believers. God is sowing true believers in the world. I, I've told you this before, but sometimes it's like a calf looking at a new gate. I mean, you, you look at me and you say, what, what is he talking about? God is sowing the children of the kingdom. I, I, I have to emphasize this once again. You are not inconsequential if you're the child of God. You are not, you, you didn't get into the kingdom of God by happenstance or by incidents or anything like that. The Bible says in Revelation, I read it this morning with Bonnie, uh, that, that before the foundation of the world, your name was written in the Lamb's book of life. I mean, God knows who you are and he's had a plan for you since day one and he has placed you where he wants you to be among the people where he wants you to minister. He's given you the gifts and the talents that he wants you to have and to envy what somebody else has or wish you had their talent, their gift, their ability is just wrong because God has equipped you individually exactly as he planned from the beginning to shine for Jesus right where you are. 
you are the scattering of God. And some of you are scattered down at Wells Fargo. Some of you are scattered down at the principal. Some of you at John Deere. Some of your moms at home. Some of you are in, uh, you're in gymnasiums and you're working here and there. You teach in schools. We have lawyers. We've got all kinds of people. But I, I just want you to know that nothing is a mistake. God is not taking a nap. He has not forgotten what's going on. And you, individually believer, <laughs> are the planting of God. Boy, if you never felt important, you ought to just, God's got something going on with me. It is so important. Well, that's really great for all you preachers. No, no, that's not what this is about. This is about the people of God, the children of the God, the singular purpose for the vine. Now, what is a vine all about? In the scriptures, when he's talking about the vine, the vineyard, he's specifically talking about that which produces grapes. And what is the purpose of a vineyard? Do we take, do we take the wood from the vine? Jeremiah talks about this. Do we take the wood from the vine and, you know, shave off all the bark and make things out of it? No, it's not good for building. It's only good for one thing. What is the purpose of the vine? What is the purpose of the vineyard? What is it that they're trying to accomplish? They're trying to bear and they want to bring forth grapes. This is the purpose of it. You know, the truth is you cannot build with the wood of a vine. Uh, it can only produce fruit. And if it won't produce fruit, since you can't build with it, the only other thing you can do with it is burn it. So growing fruitfulness that uh, brings increasing glory to God is his purpose. God wants us to live in such a way in the world that people will see our lives and give God the glory. That is that people will say God is great because of the incredible effect that he has in the lives of his children. And there's one of them. I met them at work. Matthew 5, 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father, which is in heaven. Verse eight, by this, my father is glorified. Remember that? That you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciple. That's not how you get to be a disciple. It's how you're recognized as a disciple. You glorify your father, which is in heaven. It doesn't say, now live in such a way that people will look at us and say, wow, aren't you something? No, but live in such a way that people will look and say, wow, his God must be everything. This is the way we're supposed to live. First Peter 4, 11, if anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability that God supplies that in all things, God may be glorified. You don't want to glorify yourself because if people are drawn to you, they'll die and go to hell. But if you glorify the father and they're drawn to him, they can be saved and go to heaven. First Corinthians 10, 31, therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the what? Glory of God. You know, it's a rare thing today. People do a lot to get noticed and to get recognition and to get likes. Boy, isn't it amazing how much effort is put into doing the opposite of what God tells us to do. Amazing. Hmm. How counterculture it is to live for the glory of the creator and savior. Now, let me give you the second question. Who is God's provision? Who is God's provision? Verse one and verse five, he says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. In verse five, I am the vine and you are the branches. I told you I could have expounded all day on the words true vine, but I'm just going to give you a quick summary of it. True vine. Throughout the passage, we see the picture of the vine as representing Jesus. Why does he say true vine? Well, 
Because there was a failed and false vine present in Israel that had been opposing Jesus every single step of the way. We've been reading it in John. Every time he did anything, said anything, did a miracle or did something on the Sabbath that they think he shouldn't do, what did they do? They criticized, they complained. They, and now then, three times we've already said that they decided to kill him, to destroy him, to crucify him. They want to do anything they can to get rid of him and they've already got Judas, one of his own, convinced to help him do it. They were the vine. They had been planted by God and had failed in their purpose of giving the good fruit of righteousness and of obedience. Listen to this, Psalm 80 and verse number eight. Psalm 80, verse eight. You have brought a vine out of Egypt. Who did he bring out of Egypt? The Jews. He, you are a vine that has been brought out of Egypt. You have cast out the nations and planted it. You prepared room for it and caused it to take deep root and it filled the land. Yet... They have failed and disobeyed miserably. Jeremiah 21, 2, 21 says, they become a degenerate plant, an alien vine. Isaiah 5, 1 to 7 says that and also. And Ezekiel 19, 10, they produce wild grapes. Hosea 10, 1 says they were an empty vine. So Israel, the priesthood, the, the entire Levitical system, everything had become useless non-productive, no righteousness, no light. Instead of announcing the good news in the light of the world to the Gentile world, they hated them and they called, dog, called them dogs. So Jesus is the what? True vine. Not the false vine, the true vine. No doubt that they understood that Herod's temple had vines, golden vines all over the walls for the people to see. They had the, the picture of the vineyard everywhere because they, as Israel, had been called the vine so many times. They understood completely what Jesus was saying. Jesus is the true vine, and God sent Jesus as the New Testament vine. This is a major drum beat in John's gospel. Uh, over and over, my father sent me, and I am doing what he says. Now, I'm, in John 5 and 6, I, on your study sheets, I actually ask you to look up some of these verses, and I'm not even going to read them off. But John in 6, he says this over and over and over, that uh, the father sent me, the father sent me, I'm doing the will of the father, the father sent me, the father sent me, the father planted me. I'm the, I'm the father's son, I'm the son of the father, the father, the father, the father, he has sent me. Why? Because he planted him, he is the true vine. He only and always did the will of the Father. Jesus is the only vine. He is the only source for life to flow into the branches. Verse 4, it says there, Abide in me and I in you. And as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. Who are the projects of this husbandman, this vine dresser, this gardener? Who are the projects? Well, the branches of the vine are God's projects, verses 1 and 2. I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser, the gardener, the husbandman. I am he. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he, the father, takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he, the father, that it may bear more fruit. In our passage, Jesus is the vine, God is the gardener, we are the branches. And God's projects, what God is working on is the branches. How many of you have felt like God was working on you? Just raise your hand. <laughs> He's been working on me a lot all my life. 
God is the gardener. We're the branches. And I want you to notice something. This is just a little by the way, but I just can't miss it. Notice the position of Jesus in this story. The father is the owner of the vineyard. He's also the gardener of the vineyard. And then he's working on the branches. But who comes between the gardener father and the branch? Who comes between? Jesus. Do you know, you know why? Because um, there's just one mediator between God and man. He is the man, Christ Jesus. We're related to the father through our faith in his son. How beautiful. We already learned it. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. No one, not a single person, can be a fruitful branch for the glory of God until they have a vital, life-giving connection to the vine. You can't work it up. You can't say, oh, wow, this religion thing is great. I'm just going to work at this, and I'm just going to become very, very helpful, very, very fruitful. No. you got to have a connection to the vine. Without the vital connection, the sap of life cannot flow in and through us. Before you can have anything else from God or with God, you must have a relationship to God. Before you can have a hope of heaven with him and before you can have forgiveness of sins, you must have a relationship with him. So let me pull over and give you this appeal. Can you pinpoint a time in your life when that relationship came to be? Can you say, I wasn't the child of God. I heard the good news of the gospel and his death for me on the cross. I understood it, believed it, put faith in it and accepted and believed and trusted. And I was born again into his family. I was grafted into the vine. I became adopted by the father and I am part of the family of God. There was a before and an after. This is so dangerous. Well, I'm just working my way into it. Little by little, I'm learning. Listen, folks, when you're born, you weren't born, then you were born. You weren't adopted, then you were adopted. You were his child, were not his child, and you become his child. So important. Can you pinpoint it? If not, you can be grafted in, born again. You can come to the Lord Jesus by faith. Call upon him for your soul's salvation. He'll never turn you away. I just read it in John six thirty seven. Just look at all he has done to save those who would come to him. John three sixteen. He so loved the world the Father did that he gave his one and only, his only begotten Son. We don't have to perish. We can believe in him and have everlasting life. So what's God's process? And I need to finish this. What is God's process? Look at verse number two. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Verse six, if anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them up and throw them into the fire and they are burned. So what's God's process? Well, the first thing I'd like you to see is in verse number two, underline these words in your Bible, underline them, put a star around them, around them, circle them. Every branch, two words, in me. Who's he working on here? Believers or unbelievers? All right. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away. That's the first thing. He only works on those that are in Christ. God's a wonderful father and he's a father to his children. And he may judge humanity on the outside, but he's working as a father with his children. And always remember, he is the loving father. He loves you. He's proved it. God loves you. And he works on the branches that have connection to Christ. Jesus is not in the world today physically, but he's in the world today vitally. 
So important. Jesus is the head of the body, the church. He is in heaven, however, at the right hand of the Father, and he ever lives to make intercession for them. Ooh, that's beautiful. Won't you write that down? Hebrews 7:25. What's Jesus doing? What's he all about? He ever lives to make intercession. Forever he lives to make intercession for you. Do you make a mistake? Do you how many of you make a mistake? You slip up, you do what you don't want to do from time to time. Raise your hand. Then you got a prayer warrior beside the Father in heaven. His name is Jesus. His body is here on earth and he is present in his body in us by the Holy Spirit. We talked about that tremendously last week and we'll talk about it increasingly as we go through this book. We saw last week, Jesus is the light of the world, but he's now at the right hand of the father, but he is still the light of the world. John 8, 12, because we are the light of the world. Matthew 5, 14 and Ephesians 5, 8, we are the light of the world because who lives in us? Who lives in us? Jesus. Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, the Spirit of truth. He lives in us. We are the light of the world. But if your light is darkness, ah, now we start connecting passages of Scripture. If your light's dirty, if your light's not, not, not bright, shining brightly, if the world's got us detained, distracted, if we're in love with this world and the stuff of it, then the light of the world goes dim. We are the light. Well, I'm just so glad that God's got his missionaries and he's got his pastors. Listen, that's not what this passage is about. This passage is about every planting of God, every believer. We are the light of the world. Say that with me. We are the light of the world. Boy, what an opportunity. Boy, what a responsibility. We're the light of the world. Um, he is very much in us. The father has a great interest in the branches and you matter to God as a branch. And so what does he do? Well, he only works to those who are in Christ. First, he takes away the fruitless branches. Take away. Ooh, that's interesting. What does that mean? Well, it can mean lift it up, lift it up, cleanse. Sometimes in a vineyard, branches fall down out of the sunlight. They can't receive the nourishment of the light that they need so desperately. They can also be trampled down for workers, by the workers. And so the Lord lifts them up. Father lifts them up to a better place where they can have greater usefulness. But then again, it can also mean take away, like take away. Judas was certainly taken away. He was the son of perdition from the beginning. He never was part of the group, but he was taken away. He had participated in everything that they'd done, but he was taken away. Now in the professing church, there are many, there are many who do spiritual work, but bear no spiritual fruit. What? Well, there's a lot of work going on, but is it fruit? That's an interesting thing. What else does, you, what else does the father do? Well, he prunes the fruitful branches. Verse number two, every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. So the ones bearing nothing, he might take away if if he can't get them going. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. That word in your Bible, you may have the word prune or purge or cleanse. They're all the same word in Greek. Pruning is what the father does to a fruitful branch. You say, wait a minute, if I'm doing what God wants me to do, and if I'm bearing fruit and everything, why don't you just leave me alone? No, he's never going to leave you alone. If you're fruitful, he wants you to be more, he wants you to bear not just no fruit, but he wants you to bear fruit. And then he wants you to bear more fruit. And then he wants you to bear much fruit. He wants your righteousness to be increasing. 
He wants your holiness to matter. He wants your fruitfulness. He, he just wants it to be that way. He wants a fruitful branch to be more fruitful. I have a hard time with that myself. I have tomato vines. And I showed some of my prized tomatoes to some people this morning. I love tomatoes and I love to grow them. And I have the hardest time. I come to those vines and I know I need to snip some of these little shoots and I need to trim off all of the dirty part. But if there's a flower out there, you know, in order for there to be a tomato, there first has to be a what? Flower. So I, I just have the hardest time coming over there. But you know, I come down to it and sometimes I even think of this passage. Well, if I want them to be bigger and better and better quality and more of them, then I need to do just a little bit of trimming on this tomato vine. You know what God's not afraid to do? He's not afraid to trim you. He's not afraid to prune you. He'll, he'll, he'll prune us. He cuts away what's worthless and takes the dead leaves away and the shoots and he even cuts it back sometimes. It's possible for a carnal Christian to produce works, but only spiritual Christians can bear lasting fruit. God cleanses us, first of all, through his word, verse number four says, and then he chastens us to make us more fruitful. Hebrews chapter 12 says so very clearly what he is trying to do in our life. And so he prunes us and pruning can be painful. He said, well, I just can't believe God would ever do anything to me in my life that would cause me any hurt, pain, discomfort, or that would put me in a state of depression. I just can't, God, you know, sometimes God can't ever get your attention and get my attention to make me more fruitful until he puts us in a situation where it hurts, where I'm alone, and where I'm half depressed. Because then sometimes I have nowhere to look but where? To him. Away with the idea that God never allows anything difficult in our life. Did he allow anything difficult in the life of the Apostle Paul? Was Paul fruitful? On and on it goes. He cast out something. He cast out the withered branches. Verse 6 tells us that not every branch responds to the challenge and cleansing ministry of the gardener. When this happened, there's a loss of fellowship and of reward. Here's what I believe the Lord is talking about. I believe that we, what we lose and uh, in, in this situation is we lose that fellowship. We're cast out. Uh, because we're not abiding, we are cast out. Uh, this is not a sonship text. This is a fellowship text. We'll never lose the relationship, but we can certainly lose the closeness. How many of you have been closer to Jesus at some times than you were at others? Raise your hand. How many of you knew it? Loss of vitality, withered. Possessing no life, dead, dried up, it describes too many of us today. It didn't used to be this way, but now there's deadness where there used to be life. There's weakness where there used to be power. There's emptiness where there used to be fullness. There's drabness where there used to be purpose. Uh, the Bible says so very clear, clearly that if we will draw near to God, he will draw near to us. And so if we will draw near to him, he will once again, we, we will begin to experience that life-giving juice from the vine and begin again to produce the fruit for him. And let me just give you a little statement that I've heard many people say, and boy, I find it to be so true. Oh my goodness, please listen to me this morning. I am as close to God as I want to be. You are as close to God as you want to be. And if you start drawing close to God and you feel like there's some pruning going on in your life, just remember this, that the closer you get to him, the better he can work on you. I don't trim my tomato vines from across the yard. 
you and I are as close to the Lord as we want to be. Because many of us want so many things from God, but we're afraid of the things of God that he might do through us, where he might take us, what he might do with us, what friendships we might put at risk if we stand up for Jesus. Mm. Loss of reward. When this life is over, there'll be many who name the name of Jesus, but were unfruitful. They will experience the loss of reward, 1 Corinthians 3, 13 to 15. Many think that they will be content just to get to, well, if I just get to heaven, I'll be content. Wonderful, but there should be a desire to have rewards to place at his feet. Don't you want to hear it? Don't you want to hear it? Well done, thou good and faithful servant. So I've got about two minutes to give you what the sermon was really all about. He said, you, what have you been doing? I've been bringing you to the place where you understand your responsibility. Here it is. Here's the sermon. Here it is. What is our priority as branches? Our goal is clearly stated several times in the passage. Our goal is fruitfulness, the fruit of Christ-likeness, godly character, and spiritual reproduction. That is being instrumental in bringing others to faith in Jesus is our goal. We know what God's purpose is, fruitfulness, Christ-likeness, godly character, spiritual reproduction. We know that. How do we do it? How do we work on that? How do we perform this fruit-bearing directive? You know, I have three little apple trees behind my house. They're not really mine. Actually, they're behind the neighbor's house. And here's the property line. There's three little apple trees out there. And these little apple trees are just sitting there. And um, I don't know who planted them. Nobody really claims them. And a few years ago, I decided, well, nobody's doing anything with them. And there's got a lot of fruit on there, but they could be better. So I'm going to start trimming them and I'm going to spray the bugs and so on. Now, all of a sudden, those, little, those three little trees are putting on apples in abundance. And all I do is just pick them and can them and make pies out of them. Apple pie. Make pies out of them and share them and so on. Do you know what the natural course of events for fruit trees and grapevines is? What is the natural byproduct of a tree just standing there and of a grapevine just growing. What is the natural byproduct? Fruit. Can I say something to you this morning? That the fruit that God wants to bring forth in our life is the natural life of a Christian, not supernatural in the sense of we're special. It's not just the super saints that are supposed to be in the vine and bear fruit, the fruit of righteousness and the fruit of holiness and the fruit of loving God and loving others, and the fruit of reproduction. No, 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 this, this is every. In the year of the derecho, a few limbs of that tree were broken off and those separated branches, once they were broken off, had flowers on them. But guess what? Once they were broken off, they produced what? Nothing. Nothing. The blessings of fruitfulness I could talk about as a sense of the Savior's love. Verse number nine, as the Father loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in me. And I can go on and on. There's another, uh, there's another evidence and there's another blessing. Obedience to the Lord's command. There it is. If you love me, keep my commandments. Jesus said time and again, the proof of our trust and love is obedience. And we can't skirt the issue. We, we can't love in word only, but we must love in deed and in truth. There's another beautiful blessing of connection. 
that is answered prayer. Look at verse number seven. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask and what you desire and it'll be given to you. And the same thing is said in verse number 16. And what else? Look at the, look at the verse there in verse number, uh, let's see, um, your joy will be full. Verse number 11, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. First Peter 1, 8 calls it joy uh, inexpressible and full of glory. So to submit to Jesus is no hardship. Rather, it is the road to liberation and fruitfulness. It brings joy, joy in Christ's presence when it's joy that wells up in our heart. There's contentment, the completion, a sense of purpose. There's something else that's the blessing, verses 12 to 15, I'll only mention it. It's the word friendship with the Lord Jesus. You know, we're supposed to live like servants, love like brethren, and love in a self-sacrificial way. Jesus proved his love for us by laying down his life for us. Do you know what a privilege it is to say this morning, I'm not merely the slave, doulos of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not merely his servant, bondservant, but I am his friend, Amen. the friend of God. This word friend here is not just acquaintance. It's not just acknowledging that you know someone. This friend is the one you bring into the inner circle. This kind of friendship is the ones who sat at court with the king. This is the kind of person like the servants who turn, were there when they turned the water into the wine. They knew the secrets. And I just want you to know this wonderful to be the friend of God. These are all byproducts of of our connection to the vine. So what's the, Pastor, you still hadn't said what is the essential requirement. Here it is. Abide. Abide. That doesn't mean, I just got to work at this. I just got to abide. That's not it. I need to be fruitful. I got to work at this fruit. That's not fruitfulness. What does a tree have to do to be fruitful? Just stand there. Be a tree. What does a grapevine have to do? Well, just submit itself to the vineyard keeper and just bear fruit. What do we have to do? All we got to do, stay connected, abide, remain, stay close. It means, what is abiding? It means to keep in fellowship with Christ so that his life can work in and through us to produce fruit. Stay connected so your faith doesn't wither. Stay connected so the Father can prune you. Stay connected so prayer will be constant and receive answers. Stay connected so you don't become a useless branch. Stay connected so you can experience true joy. Stay connected so you can live as Jesus' servant friend. Stay connected so you can obey his primary command of loving one another. Stay connected and you will be fruitful because without Jesus you can do nothing. God has done more than just invite us to his home in heaven. He has invited us into a relationship on earth, a partnership. Pastor, what is the essential requirement for fruitfulness? Abiding in Christ. Stay in the word. Stay on your knees. Stay in fellowship with his children. Stay in the church. Stay in love with Jesus, his brethren, and his mission. God has promised us peace as we bear fruit. In the world, I've got this little cell phone, nice apparatus, smartphone they call it. It's wonderful. But I could carry this around, keep it in my pocket and everything. But if I did not have this contract with Verizon, 
I mean, if I just didn't have this contract, then the internet wouldn't work, phone calls wouldn't work, wouldn't do, it'd just be an apparatus because it's disconnected from the source of all the information and the flow. Pastor Michael went on a cruise with his wife, kind of cool. And he told me as we were talking about this illustration, he says, you know, I got in that boat when it was in the port, when it was in the harbor, this thing was just amazing. But when we got set out to sea and got at any distance at all, this thing was just a weight in my pocket. Two things. <laughs> make sure you are related to the source, Jesus Christ. Number two, make sure that you stay close. Stay close to Jesus. Are you in his word? Are you on your knees? Are you in fellowship? Is the flow of Jesus coming through your life? Is there evidence of obedience? Do you care what Jesus wants from day to day? Abide in him. A lot of us, like David, have lost the joy of our salvation. We've lost it because we're not experiencing the joy of fruitfulness because of him in us.